Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Blister Podcast on the Blister Podcast Network. And I should say, the soon-to-be-expanding Blister Podcast Network. We're going to be talking about that more in a minute. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Well, in this October edition of Reviewing the News, Cody Townsend and I open by discussing his latest 50-project film, Comstock, and we dive into the conflict that actually lies at the heart of the entire 50 project. From there, we also discuss fists versus protect our winters and what's been happening in that situation. And then we talk about an entire new division of Blister that we are calling Blister Cinematic. We are very excited about this new multifaceted division of Blister, and you will learn a lot more about it here and how the whole thing is actually all Cody's fault. Furthermore, we also in this episode talk about Bigfoot and aliens, the most Canadian news, and this month, this actually literally might win the award for the most Canadian news of all time. And then, per usual, we discuss a few of the emails that you all have sent in and talk about what we are reading and watching. And I want to take a minute here to say thanks to all of you who send us stories and topics to consider for reviewing the news, and those of you who write in with topics for Mountain Town Advice, and those of you who take a minute or two out of your schedule to leave us a rating or review for this Blister podcast and any of our other Blister podcasts that you enjoy. Your willingness to take a few minutes to act in these ways is truly making our Blister community better, and I really am very proud of all of you and really grateful to all of you for caring enough to write in and comment and provide that feedback. And relatedly, one of the things that we really enjoy doing around here is getting to meet the members of our community. And on that front, you know that we've got our upcoming Blister Summit in February. It is February 4th through the 8th here in Mount Crested Butte. And Cody is going to be there. His wife Elise is going to be there. Angel Collinson will be there. Hoji will be there, among many other great people. And we'd love for you to join us there, too. So we will include a link to the Blister Summit in the show notes of this episode, or just go to the homepage of our website for more information. And coming up very soon here, there's going to be another opportunity to meet up, especially with our New England peeps. I'm going to be giving a talk on Saturday, November 4th at 12.15 p.m. at the Snowbound Expo in Boston. So if you are in the area, come by the expo on Saturday at noon. That's November 4th. And come say hi. And you should also be checking our Blister newsletter that we send out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday because we will be giving out a code for free admission to the Snowbound Expo. So keep an eye out for that code in one of our Blister newsletters coming up until the event. 
Those blister newsletters go out Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and you can sign up for the newsletter on our website. How convenient. And speaking of New England, this episode of the Blister Podcast is presented by Mountain Ops, which is our blister recommended shop in Stowe, Vermont. Mountain Ops is located in a historic big red barn that was originally built in 1893. And these days, the shop spans over 3,000 square feet, and Mountain Ops has become well-known for its welcoming atmosphere, excellent customer service, and dedication to human-powered pursuits over these past 25 years. They cater to the widest possible range of skiers, with a particular passion for alpine touring, Nordic, and telemark gear. People know and love Mountain Ops as a place to get their telegear repaired, or to get an obscure binding mounted, or to get their backcountry setup dialed. In fact, there aren't too many bindings out there that Mountain Ops can't mount, and they offer all level of tunes, and they have a huge stock of spare parts to help you fix some of your beloved gear. Mountain Ops also has two expert boot fitters on staff capable of dialing in any type of boot, from Telemark and AT boots to Alpine boots. And with their boot rescue program, there is no foot too funky for Mountain Ops boot fitters. They also offer a huge rental and demo program with options for anyone, from beginners to experts, and you can rent Tele, AT, and Nordic gear. This season, they have 18 pairs of DPS Pagoda Tour skis with ATK bindings and skins available for demo, which is an excellent option, especially if you are looking to get a new touring setup and you really want the option to try out a setup like this before you purchase. So go check out the Big Red Barn and see for yourself why Mountain Ops is a well-loved shop by the Stowe community and beyond. And with that, let's review the news with Cody. Here we go. All right, well, Cody, our last time doing this, we had to publish it, I think, two days late. I don't remember the reason, travel schedules or the rest. This time around, we're doing something we rarely do. We're actually still recording in the actual month. This isn't going to make any sense, hearing myself say this out loud. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> You're trying to. You're just trying to say that it is October currently, and we do a monthly reviewing the news, always about the month prior. So we're in October reviewing October's news. Is what you're trying to say? I might just let you talk this whole this whole episode. Cool. Two hours of me just talking about the 49ers. <laughs> this is the first week I want to talk about the 49ers. I like that. Literally 60 seconds ago. We were like, we're not going to talk about the NFL. <laughs> if anything, it's going to be at the very end of the episode. You open the door, and here we are. I'm walking through it. You have, as we've talked about, you have, in, you have invited me onto the 49ers bandwagon, and I appreciate the invitation. That said, I also begrudgingly hate the success that the team has had 
because I'm like, why do you deserve good things while I'm stuck in awful Chicago Bears land for like decade after decade? And so this week, your beloved quarterback is out. Whereas our new quarterback is kind of like maybe the new version of your current quarterback. I don't know how to feel about all that's happening. And mostly I apologize to everyone who was really hoping we did not talk about the NFL. Yeah, I apologize all the way. All I all I can say is I was really happy the Niners played on Monday night because it means my ruined week is quite a lot shorter. Um, yeah, and then I'm going to the Cincinnati Niners game on Sunday, um, which I'm really happy about because it's really fun going to big sporting events. Um, but uh, I'm also nervous about because I have yet to watch the 49ers win in person. And now we're on a two-game losing streak. So Wait, ever? Ever. Well, no, when I was a kid. When I was a kid. I get at Levi's Stadium. So when I was a kid, I went to uh, Candlestick and watched them win. I don't even remember. I was very young. So, um, But no, in modern era, I have yet to watch them lose. So I'm like feeling like a jinx. Like Elise and I they made it where like if Jimmy Garoppolo was still on the team, we're not going into any games because we kept watching him lose. <laughs> and then he's off the team. And now we're like, okay, we're going. And now our new guy's not there. So anyways. Yeah, I think I think I'm picking the Bengals. I think I'm picking the Bengals, but now I feel like if I do and I just said that karma will make it that like it's real weird how fan brains work, you know? Cuz I'm like, well, now if I say that, your 49ers are going to win just so next month you can come back and be like, "Ha." But I don't think cosmically I don't think the the cosmos actually cares who wins this football game, let alone our 100 listeners. There's like four of our 100 who probably like this part. Yeah, I got to say, so about the 100, we can shift gears out of football so the the, the listeners don't get uh, turn it off within the first two minutes. Um, but uh, I met some people that claim to be part of the 100. Huh. It was great. I was like, oh, nice. They were like, oh, we're part of the 100. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. But I got to say. This was at a ski movie premiere, um, the Solomon QST tour. I was down in San Francisco. Um, they're wonderful people that I talked to, but there was probably like 150 people there. Only one couple said that. So my theory of there's only 100 listeners still like with the ratios that I'm finding, like, I mean, I'm just trying to like, I bring this up because I do this podcast out of the goodness of my heart to support you and Blister. (laughs) It's not for media. It's not for, you know, trying to build my name or anything. You know, we only have 100 listeners. Um, It's just, you know, trying to support Blister. (laughs) I appreciate that. We appreciate the support. What are we doing on the, we've talked about t-shirts. What should, should it, if, if there was a t-shirt, what would it say? I'm part of the 100 or what is the actual? I don't know. I would say we crowdsource that. We would get someone from the 100 to, to come up with something. I'm not that good of a designer or come up like someone that can come up with a, a slogan like that. I think we've talked about like, you know, the shirt would say listener number 101 or part of the hundred, but, um, but I think you have the idea. Let's crowdsource this. And so, uh, send us an email, DM us. What should, what do the 100 want the shirt to say, or maybe they don't want a shirt. Maybe they want a 
coffee mug i don't know let it let us know but i i do think for the hundred they deserve they deserve something and we want to do it right they put up listening to you and i talk and make fun of each other every month for like two hours they they deserve something for the energy they put into this so that's true okay so there's that by the way i gotta say our other thing about our blister crash course snowboard video operation let's get me on a snowboard that is all going really well oh nice and we talked about this on our last gear 30 podcast and we were saying this is a team effort i keep telling using your line about how you know we need to see me go break both of my wrists at the same time which is your prediction probably accurate um but that's moving along well and i want to continue to encourage the way it works is if you are a Gear 30 fan, leave us that rating because when we hit 750 ratings, it locks us in. We're making it. And I, I want this to get locked in before I change my mind because I've spent like my whole life being terrified of snowboards. Like they're super cool, but I'm ter- terrified of the slam, right? And I'm like, at some point, like my intelligence is going to kick back in and I will be appropriately afraid of the slam, but I'm in a weird like weather window right now. Like it, the, the skies have opened and I want this to happen. And I'm worried that I started thinking about it today. Like, you know, what if next week I'm like, why am I thinking of doing this? So anyway, we need to hurry up and get this locked in, but we're the, the gear 30 faithful. There's a lot more gear 30 faithful than, than the 100. And I told somebody today, actually, that it's because I think people don't like you. Mm, that's very <laughs> possible. I'm not going to like dissuade anyone from not liking me. That's definitely, I put myself out there. I'm like kind of all over. I like, I kind of yeah. don't even like myself anymore. I'd see my name pop up on a new product and I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Holy shit. Wow, this turned it, which turned into like a therapy session. Yeah, let's get, let's get into it, which we can talk about the, the, the latest 50 because there was a little bit of like kind of therapy almost in the, the way we talked. Yeah. Yeah. There was, you know, you have sort of referred to this a bit on some of your recent social posts, and I think it does raise some good questions. You are raising your own questions, um, and these are some sentiments that I actually sort of personally share with you. Take it away. Talk a little bit about, you know, one of the kind of crux issues about having a project called The 50 and yet some of the ways that you tend to operate in the mountains and a kind of philosophy of the mountains. Yeah. Like I was talking to a buddy recently and I, I realized like, I kind of still am a free ride skier at heart. Cause like free ride skiers were hedonistic. We're in search of like pow and good times. And we shove everything aside when it's a pow day and you just go rage and you know, you're, you're cheers and beers at the end of the day, celebrating how good of a day it is. And like, I think growing up that way, well then going into a project that is much more based in like a climbing kind of alpinism and mountaineering world. I mean, the book, the 50 classic ski descents was literally inspired by the 50 classic climbs of North America. It comes from the root of, of climbing and mountaineering culture. So as I've gotten into this kind of 
climbing, more styled world, there's a lot of things that I'm like personally battle against. Like there's a lot of hypocrisies to it from the get go. Like I had talked to friends and mentors like Chris Rubens of being like, we looked at objective based skiing as something that's like uniquely dangerous and something that is goes against a good way of moving through the mountains. Like you let the mountains tell you where you're going to go that day. Like you may have like, Hey, like I'm thinking of going out here today, but you also have to be on your feet and go plan a, B, C, and D. Um, and vice versa. You just kind of like the season, the way it's shaping up, you kind of, move along the 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 way the mountains are operating and with an objective-based project all of a sudden you're just like boom here's what i'm doing i'm going to try and do this line and so it goes against that philosophy and it's something i've personally battled with from the beginning of this project i knew from the get-go at the same time like this thing is going to like people are going to assume like the goal is to tick off all 50 and I was very explicit in the very first episode where I said, I'm going to try to ski all 50 because it was not, I knew that if I attached myself entirely to checking off all 50, that I was going to be putting myself in a, in a place, a, a place of risk that I wasn't personally comfortable with. You know, maybe if I was 20 years younger, I'd be comfortable with that risk, but where I'm at in my life, what I've seen go on in the mountains, how many friends I've lost, um, you know, watching children be raised fatherless, it's painful. Like, I'm not, it is dark. Um, I've definitely shed tears many times with the children of fatherless parents being like, why am I here with them? That person should be with them and they hit you. So like where I stand in this project is much like this place of going like I keep getting pushed because of this goal that I set out for myself to tick off these lines, yet I know it goes against a lot of the way I want to operate in the mountains and a lot of the way that the, the comfort I feel with risk. And it's been, you know, it's challenging. I think I haven't really talked about that in the episodes too much. We may have talked about it, some interviews a little bit here and there, but I haven't put it explicitly in the episodes because I always kind of wanted to just let the, the day, the story, or the line, or the people I'm with be the thing that stands out. And this was the first episode, this Comstock episode, where I kind of explained a bit of my philosophy uh, on the ridgeline as we got turned around. And I it, it was a weird, I got to say it was a weird feeling. And I was almost not comfortable with myself in that moment because I did want to kind of push on. I did want to like, we just put in all this effort, all this time driving all the way up there. I want to get this line done with so I don't have to come back out here. And I'm sitting there going like, no, like this goes against what you're doing. And that's like the battle with this project. And that's what the, the, the things that goes through my mind. And I like kind of put it out there and, um, it was a little uncomfortable of an episode to put out there because it was like the climax of the episode is a discussion between BRNA and I on a ridgeline. Um, and, you know, like, again, it's like us failing again, like split showed us failing a ton. We end up succeeding at the end, but here's failure again. And, you know, there's this, the, there's no matter what, there's always this desire to be like, yeah, we can be successful. You can do it this way. You can keep being successful. But when you keep trying and keep failing, you know, you start to look inward and you start to look at your own motivations, what makes you, you know, actually happy in life, what, what, 
can you take away from this project? Are you going to be pushing too far um, into a comfort zone where you're not comfortable with because of this arbitrary list that someone made up and put a book out and I decided I wanted to go try all of them? It's all those all those things go, go through my mind a lot. And this was just like a two-minute insight into what's been playing playing in the background of my mind for years. But I also think that because the 50 clearly isn't a multi-year project where we're watching an individual hell-bent on ticking every box off, right? Which then ends one of two ways. Cody ticked it all off. Or Cody's dead. Yeah. I've seen a lot of comments, whether it's on some of your social pages or YouTube videos or whatever. I do think that a large portion of the community, that that is an element that people, not maybe not everybody, I don't know percentages, but a lot of people seem to very much appreciate that about this whole project and why. And I mean, you probably have read and seen more comments than I have, but it's why I have the sense that this does feel different. I think it is one of the reasons that it has resonated maybe more than some of these projects, some of these films that we have seen in the past where it's like, here's our hero, here's the star of the film, watch him or her go conquer the objective, right? And it's like, well, this is a film that actually is a bit closer to what it does seem like a lot of us who go out into the backcountry and maybe we're on far more mellow things than some of the things that you are on in the fifty. But it is about the process of red, red light, yellow light, green light, and the decision making. And that, that, is, that has been a lot of the comments on this. And I think that's why when we see those comments, we're like, this has been a really valuable source for just kind of backcountry ski education in general. Well, yeah, for all the reasons you've just said. By the way, what from the, you know, assuming you have seen far more of comments on your own projects than I have... Would you agree as a, are those the majority of the comments come in or do you get the like, I can't believe you guys turned around. What the hell? No, majority of the comments are incredibly supportive to the point where I'm cool. I'm just going to make movies about turning around. (laughs) Everyone loves it. (laughs) No, they're, they're the majority of comments are exactly kind of, as you said, they're like refreshing and seeing behind the scenes of this process of what it, what it goes. And, you know, there's a, a lot to be said with that in the beginning stages of the 50. All I wanted to do was be like, I found all that stuff so interesting that I wanted to show that because we all do that. What I'm doing in the mountains is nothing that's like groundbreaking or insightful um, in or it's insightful beyond our own little circles. Like we, this is how we talk. And I just wanted to show that to the world. And so we are just kind of showing a lot about this. Um, But, um, but like there are, there's chatter for sure. You know, I, I see some of the stuff and people will be like, Oh yeah, he's like not a good ski mountaineer. It's like all blah, 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 whatever. And I also feel the pressure of, the older generations when it comes from mountain climbing and the alpinism world those guys are living on such the edge 
that there was this culture from these prior generations of like where it's honorable to die in the mountains. Um, like the Mark Twites that would put out these just kind of scathing critiques that if you you have to do it this way and it's bad if you don't do it this way and if you die in the mountains, that's fucking practically a good thing. It's honorable. And I want to rebel against that because you're like, I, I think we've talked about it here, but, and I just talked about it. When you see the grief that it causes among communities, you realize it's like, it's a really selfish thing to go die in the mountains. Like you're transferring whatever sort of pain or self-confidence or ego or whatever it is, you're transferring that pain to other people. And, you know, like I think about it now, it's like, 20 years ago, if I died skiing, you're like, you know, my parents would be really bummed, but it really wouldn't have mattered in my mind at that time. I look back at it now, you're like, man, that would have been really hard on my parents. But now, like, not only if I were to die in the mountains doing something stupid and chasing this, like, egotistical goal or checklist thing, then not only is it just me that's gone and it, it affects me, like it affects my child. Like my child grows up fatherless. Like I'm, I, I affect your own death affects everyone around you. So when you come to that realization, that's when you start to, I don't know, see things a little bit differently. And it's one of the reasons why I rebel against this climbing culture, why I put it out there that like, yeah, I'm scared. I'm going to turn around or it's not the good time or whatever it is. And, you know, like if people are, want to talk shit about that older generations, people that are hardcore want to talk shit about that, that's that's for them to do. And I'm not I'm going to just keep putting myself out there. Um, I almost sometimes feel like I'm like if I have one goal with this project, it is to kind of show maybe shift culture and being like, hey, like skiing for your whole life is amazing. Like I'm 40 years in on a career of or 40 years of skiing and I've been able to do so many different things and I still love this sport and I still see like 20 to 30 years of having new experiences, enjoyment from this. And so like to cut that short because you're just like trying so fucking hard at something I just think is like, it's so short sighted. And, um, you know, when it comes to risk, like they're, I'm not going to not go in the mountains. Let's put it that way. So if something happens that is just kind of by nature of being in the mountains, it's not something like a stupid decision we made or pushing through when you you shouldn't have. Like those are the, the level of acceptance I'm willing to take. And I think my wife and I have talked about that. She's comfortable with that. She still goes free rides in Alaska. She, you know, we we are comfortable with that. But trying to do things in a way so that, you can do rad shit, but come home at the end of the day. And if we can, if I have a, if we can shift the culture a little bit so that you can still do rad shit, but do it smartly, then I think it's a win. Um, that would be my kind of goal. And again, this, this risk conversation, we can have it for hours because I do think like risk is a good thing. Like there are different points within my own life. And I see other people's lives where you're willing to take a lot of risk because you want to go send something. And in order to do great, amazing, groundbreaking things, you often have to take a shit ton of risk. So I'm not against taking risk. I'm just more of this is a, at a point in my life, the risk that I am comfortable with. Um, so that's kind of like, like, I'm not against people willingly going into the mountains to take tons of risk. Um, just to put that out there. It's just the risk I'm comfortable with. I will say the one thing I do and I'm comfortable with is people that don't know the risk that they're taking. 
the the ones that are so naive that they're kind of like they're doing stuff where you're like, holy shit, did you know how much risk you were taking? And you can kind of tell they can't explain to you why it was so risky. That's where you're like, okay, that's hopefully with this project, you can kind of see some of the insight of like why certain decisions you make in the mountains, why we do it. But um, anyways. Well said. And um, we have talked about this on previous conversations, but one of the things we love about, I never call it free skiing, actually, I just call it skiing, but free skiing is the freedom for every individual and ideally every individual in conversation with his or her partners and families and friend group, the rest, people are not all going to be at that exact same level of risk. And as you just said, well, nor should they be. But getting clear on those things and understanding how that will affect friends, family, communities, and the rest, all of that should be going into the calculus. So I, I, think, you've, I think you've said very well the kind of, or addressed very well, a number of the things that go into that. And it is simply a never-ending conversation for any of us who are going to spend time in the mountains. And it will change for you, and it will continue to change and evolve for me and everybody we know, and that is as it should be. Totally. It can change on the day. There are certain times when you're like, you know, there's some red flags or some risk, but you're like, you know what, this is whatever it is is in you. You might be willing to take the risk that day. But like, I think the biggest thing in my life and skiing career is just realizing that dying in the mountains is is more impactful than you just being gone like you you know you just like boom i'm gone i don't i don't know where i'm at i'm in the ground like you you see how it affects a community and um been unfortunately witness to it here in tahoe because we've gone through a lot of it so um and that's the one thing i like want people to know because like yeah it, it affects people in a in a pretty pretty tough way um it's it it sucks and like same token like like you can, you know, we always say that you can die in a car accident tomorrow. You can get cancer and die in a couple of years. Like all these things can happen. So it's worth going out for it. This, this life, it's really fulfilling. It's like, it goes back to what Warren Miller always talked about, the freedom and stuff. It really feels like that out there and you should have freedom to do it. But this is the way I'm doing it. This is the way I'm sharing it. And um, I'm glad that people for the most part are very supportive of it. Moving on. I want to switch the order of topics we'd kind of outlined. Okay. I want to just touch briefly on something that we had talked about in our previous conversation. And that's where we found ourselves producing a bit of a wager oh, about yeah. new ski areas. And you brought this on yourself. I did. You may recall from last month's reviewing the news for actually very good reasons. Cody was talking about the difficulty in any new ski areas coming up. I didn't go back to check the record, whether you were talking about North America in general or, or, or you were restricted to the U.S. But it doesn't matter. There, there was a, <laughs> it doesn't matter because you were wrong. Yes, I was. So, which is why we definitely should dwell on this for a minute. But you were, I think you were saying... I put out like if you had to put the over under on new ski area development in like the next three to five years, 
Did you put it at zero or like one? I said one and I was like, do you take the over or under? And I took the under. Yeah. And then we have had, you know, we only have a hundred listeners, but like 30 of them <laughs> <laughs> wrote in to just talk about actually a number of smaller, you know, not mega ski developments, mega ski area uh, developments, but new ski areas that in fact had come up in the last couple of years or some projects that were underway now to my, to my great credit, I was talking about that, you know, I was hopeful that we would see some more of these kind of more local level, smaller ski areas. And long and short is it does seem like we are seeing some of those more modest, smaller, more local or locals oriented uh, ski areas uh, getting developed. And I sure hope that trend continues. But the biggest takeaway here is you lost our bet. Wasn't it like 10 grand? I think it was $10,000. I think you owe me 10 grand. Well, we'll say this. Like, so we had a, a guy write in, Adam Moogley, saying that there was um, one in the last three years called in Alaska called Ski Talk. And it looks like a cool little, uh, it's a one chairlift, mom and pop style, 300 vertical feet small little ski area um, up in Hatcher's Pass in Alaska. But that was in the past. I'm saying in the future. So we, we got a while to actually play out this bet. I'm just going to – I might have to go you in hold- and sabotage all these, go throw out like <laughs> environmental lawsuits at every single one of them. Be like, fuck, I can't be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I can't be wrong. I'm going to lose 10 grand. I don't know if I – yeah, someone else could tell me. But Well, and, and so – okay, well, this then I, I do need to go check – a a number of the messages I got, because I do think that there are some new areas sort of in the works that have not officially opened. And I think those would count. Yeah, those would count for sure. Because I was talking in the future. So no, I mean, it is all of all things, like we said before, it was just pessimism in new ski area developments. But if these mom and pops are popping up, then that's a great thing for the sport. Um, And I think we were honoring Silverton for what they did. I will say I talked with Aaron Braille. We messaged back and forth. He's actually not a lawyer. Um, I don't know where that got in the rumor mill somewhere, but um, he did fight like hell to make that uh, resort happening. And he was very happy that we honored them in there. So, um, but yeah, um, it is cool. Um, I would love to see some of these more examples that you said, you only have the one in there in our document, but um, it'd be cool to see. Yeah. That said, <laughs> sort of talking about ski areas, or maybe we're just talking about fists now. We'll use this as a bit of a segue into this next topic. You want to take this one? Yeah. A lot of people, this has been the talk of social media for the last week, I would say. And a lot of people were tagging me in this and specifically to this podcast. So I figure we'll weigh into it. And it's uh, essentially could be summed up as FIS, the international um, body that regulates things like ski racing, among a lot of other winter sports, and POW, Protect Our Winters, and a battle between these two organizations. And it all started from a post on Instagram that POW Switzerland put up, and they put, heavy works are currently underway on Theodule Glacier in Zermatt to prepare for the Ski World Cup. Last year, the same competition was canceled due to a lack of snow. 
This year, the resources deployed to ensure the event actually takes place are beyond the bounds of acceptability and common sense. The images of shovels digging up the glacier to form the slope that will welcome the skiers are shocking. Such a spectacle is incomprehensible at a time when glacier melt is accelerating and glaciers have lost 10% of their volume in the last two years. To maintain their credibility, the FIS Alpine and the tourist destinations that host such events must act must act as role models and show that they are current take these current challenges seriously. And so the the photos that they shared was large excavators on a glacier digging up deep within to a glacier, almost looking like one photo digging out crevasses and to form some sort of piece to um to, to create the the slope for the World Cup. And um, it's turned into kind of a back and forth battle. And I wanted to go through a few different things. Um, the first thing we can weigh in on is that the pictures in that first po- post weren't actually pictures from the Theodore Glacier in Zermatt. Um, they were very shocking to see these excavators on a glacier, but they actually weren't from Zermatt. They were from pictures from 2019 on the Pitzall Glacier in Austria as that <clears throat> ski resort went through some modifications and terrain development and whatnot. Um, ironically, too, those pictures and that action was heavily protested as well. But a lot of people latched on very quickly to the fact that like, hey, these photos are from 2019. Um, and were re- immediately discrediting the entire validity of what they were saying. And they do have some truth. I mean, if you are sharing photos that are that kind of visually arresting and stop you in your tracks and look just beyond heinous, like they probably should be from the area that you are talking about. I saw in another post that they weren't allowed to share photos from that for some reason, and now they are able to, so they had more updated photos. But those first photos definitely discredited the first post. And Fiss wrote back a rebuttal to him that was pretty heavy-handed. And I don't know, did you read the rebuttal? What did you think of it? I haven't seen the rebuttal. The rebuttal brings that fact up. And unfortunately, in Powell's case, you're kind of like, yeah, you can't. You, you can't come in with that kind of ammo that isn't necessarily factual. And for whatever reason, they had to. They were like, we got to just dig these up because we know this is happening up there. We can't get photos of it, so but we need to post about this. Whatever their reasoning is, it still seems like a line too far to cross because it was able to just inflame the other side and tell them this is all hashtag fake news. And Fist went pretty heavy into that. Um, and the one thing that I will say one more thing I didn't like about this. I felt like it gained a lot of traction because it was an us versus them mentality. It was free riders versus racers. And there's nothing more than the people love to do is to take my group and your group is wrong, my group is right. And it really took that tone of being like, F these racers and fists. They're a terrible, corrupt organization. They don't care about the environment, all this stuff. And it really, I thought, caught fire for them, um, which is kind of a bummer because <clears throat> you break it down, they do the same thing for 
ski parks, like terrain parks in the summer on these glaciers. They build half pipes, they build jumps. Just the act of skiing on them is not necessarily a good thing. So it, I thought it kind of got a little toxic, but the main thing I wanted to talk to you about and take your take is, is that, but is in the end all, is this good? Like, is this better for glaciers, for climate awareness, for not doing these things? Maybe it's going to suffer like terrain parks and skiing on, on glaciers in the summer are going to suffer as well. But in the end, maybe FIS is going to change and like not have ski races in October when you're not like, there's no actual natural new snowfall. So it got really toxic, but almost like the ends may justify the means. I don't know yet. What do you think? I think it was a huge misstep, huge misstep to use those photos and not, I mean, first of all, what's weird is I agree with the vast majority of things written on behalf of Protect Our Winners in that post. I do think it is very weird and bizarre to be foisting races in October. Like it's money. It's before the holidays. I know, and there's there's I know, I know. And there's schedules and there's rest and there's a lot of factors. Any organization wants to jam pack as much of your events with sponsorship dollars before the holidays. And especially when it comes to a sport of skiing, when March is a really good time for ski races. But by that point, majority of the populations, you know, and that's living in the valleys, it's green out. You're starting to play soccer. You're starting to play baseball, whatever it is, like your mind's starting to drift away from snow. So they do, there is a financial aspect and incentive to do these before the holidays. Yeah, I get it. Um, But there's also things like leadership and vision and education And we have not remotely yet put our best foot forward as a snow sports industry, I would say on any of these fronts. So I, if it's like we have done the absolute best we possibly can in terms, because we've talked about this, right? Climate is changing. Like the, the, you know, in North America, let's all run down to the Southern Hemisphere to get great skiing in in July. Those seasons are shifting. Our seasons in the Northern Hemisphere are shifting. We all know this. And yet, so far, the kind of response or answer has been like, well, you know, but people are pretty set in their patterns. And it's like, that's not remotely good enough. That's not even trying on the education front, leadership front, vision front. You know what I mean? Like I get how the world has worked for the past few decades. That has no relevance in a way, right? Or shouldn't have that much relevance in terms of where we are at and where things are headed down the line. And I think that there needs to be a far bigger concerted effort on behalf of not just skiers, not just racers, not just free riders, but the whole collective snow sports industry coming together and starting to actually look at where are shifts that we can make. So again, I I hear you and transitions are always hard, often painful, but you know, and this is just one of those where I am not at all willing to say, well, 
there's just absolutely nothing that could be done in terms of schedules or the rest, right? And it, it often does take the right individual with vision or the right organization with vision. And you know what? Protect Our Winners has been one of those entities that is working to move the needle. And so to kind of come back, that's why I think it was a massive strategic mistake to have this stupid old photo. You Because there's one thing, do it without that picture or wait to, you know, do this initial post with the language. And then when you are allowed to show photos, then start showing photos. Or if you want to show a photo from 2019, make that real up front right off the bat. That could have been done. There's a lot of different ways to do this. And um, frankly, whoever did the messaging and or everybody who signed off on it, you opened the door for this to be discredited. And that's just, we all make you know, tactical miscalculations at one point or the other. And this was that. Yeah, I agree. It should have, the post should have been labeled like these photos are from a prior, uh, from a, just a different, just a different place. But I will say like in a certain way, like how the strategic misstep doesn't exactly matter because they did incite a lot of anger and a lot of people, 30,000 people, signing on to a change.org thing. And so you're talking about this, like the way we need to change. Like if there is an uproar of population that is looking at FIS and being like, yeah, we don't care that your sponsors want this before like the, the holidays, like this is a line too far. Like I know like in, in a certain way, like it's really difficult to dig up enough of a glacier to actually have an impact that climate change has had the impact on these glaciers. So they said in the last two years, the Theodore Glacier has shrunk by 10%. In order to dig up 10% of the glacier would take a ton of work. So it's more as just like visually stunning to see it being dug up. And so like, in the end, I kind of look at it and it's like, well, it's probably a net positive, even though the tactics were off. They created more maybe anger than this is necessary and ultimately like could discredit pow in the long run um that's the one thing i'm like a little iffy about but like if they i don't want to say sacrificial lamb if they have to take it on the chin but then it actually brought so much awareness to this subject then maybe it's a positive thing and that's the only thing i was kind of thinking about as i like Maybe we this does have to change. Maybe this shows so many different other things have to change. I don't know. Is it is it just like because I look at it and be like, yeah, like the digging up of a glacier is just definitely it just hits you right in the nerve center of being like, wow, this is wrong. But you're also like, yeah, but I don't know, a time lapse of the last two years showing the glacier shrink doesn't quite and it doesn't force any of us to really change our lives that much. Um and it's, again, we go back to this whole thing about climate change. We don't really have the option to change our lives all that much. In order to have a negative carbon output, like one, you either have to be uh, economically comfortable enough to buy, put solar panels on your house, to buy electric cars, um, to sh shift up your uh, entire habit, your like habits and daily life in order to have less and less of a car uh, negative carbon footprint. So 
we just need options. That's where it comes with industry and government making incentives to not do this stuff. Exactly like the incentive to not dig up the glacier because people will get angry. Governments and industry need to make it so that electric cars are cheaper and easier and safer and more functional for everyday life. So I don't know. It's You can go so deep with this climate change stuff. And that's where I looked at it and I was like, overall... It's probably a net win, even though I didn't like the tactics. Yeah. I hate how this is being formulated somehow. Like, I I don't disagree with you. I, I think Protect Our Winners is going to be just fine, by the way. I yeah, hope they it is. never do something like this again, because it's not necessary. I, I still stand by it is not necessary. And it is a topic that will incite very strong opinions and what we don't need is to give people unnecessary ammunition to be like see these are the kind of you know scare tactics misinformation that is going to allow people to discredit massive amounts of great work that are happening and a lot of really smart scientists and good leaders and the rest and so again um, I am not at all worried about this as a long-term consequence, but I don't ever want to see something like this again. And we're talking about the wrong stuff here. Totally. It's unfortunate. I feel like the onus to be perfect and correct is always on the people that are on the side for progressive change. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it's, it's the unfortunate side of things because – the status quo is easy. And if you want to change things in a way that you see as better, the onus on being perfect, the onus on having all your facts correct and putting everything out there in such a way that doesn't inflame uh, fighting among these groups, it's always on you. And it's hard to maintain that. Um, I can imagine, I, I, you know, I couldn't imagine what it'd be like working with an NGO that's working on environmental issues right now. Um, I was recently with an NGO that was doing that's working on plastic pollution. I did snow samples across the West and I like talked to the scientist and she's just showing me like, oh, the amount of plastics and fibers that are in the snow that I'm melting in very remote wilderness places to to drink. And I'm like, wow, I'm ingesting tons of microplastics. And I asked her, I was like, so what's it like coming into work every day? And um, she's like off the record because we were kind of filming this. And she's like, it's a fucking terror. I, you know, it's like apocalypse every day. You just all you think about and all you see is the end of the world and the fortitude to keep going and pushing for change. It's really difficult. So as much as people can maybe knock something like power, even in this instance, like they're doing hard, good work as a whole. And I think, you know, people will, we can look at, pick apart little things they've done, but I would say Powell has really done a good job of shifting the culture of the outdoor industry in general over the last 15 plus years. I completely agree with that. Completely agree with that. Wow. Can we get in some more fun? Let's do something more fun. Palette cleanser. Yeah. Let's actually talk about, normally we rely on our most Canadian news for this, but we'll, we'll, we might, I don't know, we might need a we have another story coming up that might require a second palate cleanser. So let's talk a little bit about, well, actually an entire new division of blister 
called Blister Cinematic, which as I keep telling people about this, I always say this is entirely your fault. That's how I start every one of these conversations. We have not talked about this publicly at all, but in private conversations, this is what I say. We're starting a new division of Blister. It's called Blister Cinematic, and it's entirely Cody's fault. It's because I just love ski movies. I'm like one of the biggest ski movie nerds, outdoor movie nerds. Like even when we talk about what media we're watching, like it's another sports documentary I'm going to talk about. So I just I just love this stuff. So, I mean, you could speak to it better, but, um, you know, you have kind of the whole plan. But I was definitely just poking at you. Um, uh, yeah, I would say we want to talk about outdoor films. And we want to talk about old ones. We want to talk about new ones. We want to talk about everything that's going on in that media side of things within, you know, mainly the ski world because we are that. But it'll dip into snowboard and it'll dip into outdoor films in general because, um, yeah, I really love them. And I think there's a lot to talk about. And I don't think there's been anything in this space where we get to break down these films in a unique, fun and creative way and like have a conversation about the impacts of it, the the highlight moments of it, the characters within them, what it did for the culture of the sport, all those kinds of things. I'm like really fascinated it because, yeah, I mean, I would say my life has been shaped by ski movies and uh, here I am making ski movies myself. So kind of I'm deep in this world. Yeah. So I'm going to give a little bit of the origin story here and then you feel free to correct the record where you think I've got it wrong. But it was I keep thinking it was like a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago. But I, I should never be trusted when it comes to timelines. But you hit me up and I think you I don't know if it was on a call or first started on a text or something, but you were like, hey, you need to start the Blister Awards. And, you know, it said they're just, I think I replied, I don't know if I even let you explain or expand, but I think I just wrote like, absolutely not. Like we were just getting the launch of Blister Labs going, which was a massive effort on top of everything else we have going on. You know, you said like, and this this is the thing that that really kind of got me and got me moving more toward well what we're announcing here you know you were saying there just needs to be more conversation uh more attention put on what is happening in the outdoor film space and you know i was like okay i get it but god we got a lot going on and you also said you know Athletes and filmmakers, especially perhaps up and coming athletes, really need to have, you know, more sources of like really thorough kind of legitimate awards shows and just awards out there, award initiatives that they can put on a resume. And as they're going to, you know, stay on or sign on with a new sponsor or get funding for a project that stuff really matters. And man, I talked, you know, you were the first to kind of make this pitch to us. I then was talking with folks like Angel Collinson and a number of other people and getting their take on this. And everybody just kind of underscored what you said. So I was like, all right, we need to start working toward this. One of the things I came back and said to you, because initially you were like, I think you were pretty ski centric on this. 
And I was like, well, when we do this blister awards thing, I am not willing to start just with ski. I'm very tired of the kind of skiers over to the left, snowboarders over to the right type of thing. So I was like, if we do this, we're going to do it, open it with ski and snowboard. And I actually talked to Travis Rice about this. And he, I told him what you had kind of said about the kind of need for this in the, on the ski side of things. And Travis was like, snowboard could use this very much as well. And kind of just uh, echoed everything you had said. And so we are going to be launching under this broader blister cinematic division of blister now. It's going to culminate in an in-person Blister Awards event, which will be held the last evening of our Blister Summit. So our Blister Summit here in Mount Crested Butte, those dates are February 4th through the 8th. And the culminating event, the evening of the 8th, that's where we're going to hold our first annual Blister Awards. And that will be focused on ski and snowboard films. Now, maybe not a surprise, and you already kind of made mention of this. What I want to do as, as I got started thinking about this is I thought it would be really cool not just to focus on the new film projects that we're rolling out in a given year, but to find a way to shine a light on the outdoor film's history. So we kind of like podcasts around here and we are going to be starting a new podcast called Blister Cinematic that's going to let us do what you kind of already said. This I'm taking credit for because this one was my idea and when I told you about it, you are like, oh my God, hell yes, I'm coming on this like once a month. It's like, okay, we can probably arrange for that to happen. But um, we are going to use some of those episodes to, to revisit some sort of iconic ski films, snowboard films. This one, we're not going to restrict to just ski and snowboard because I personally want to revisit certain running films, certain climbing films. So the podcast will go into anything that's mountain sports related. And I think we're going to have a lot of fun kind of, again, sometimes revisiting really iconic films. We might do an episode where it's like, Cody, talk about your top five favorite ski films of all time, right? Travis Rice, talk about your top five favorite snowboard films or your top five most influential snowboard films, some things like that. But we're going to be bringing on different people. Sometimes maybe it will be shining a light on some films that not everybody already knows and loves. Maybe it's kind of a hidden gem and we'll be able to shine a light on those. But we're going to mix that in by talking with athletes and filmmakers about new films coming out. So we're going to be forward looking, we're going to be backward looking, and I'm incredibly excited about this, even though my initial response was when you brought this up, no, we can't, we can't take this on. We're taking this on. It's awesome. Um, thank you for doing it because like I said, in to you in the in beginning stages, like, we've watched traditional media kind of 
go away for the most part. And there was the award shows and they were really important. Like the, the power awards back in the day were the Oscars of skiing and they could help define your career. They could help make your career having experts within a field saying like these were the best films of the year these were the best skiers helps people one identify which films i should go watch uh, especially these days like when i was at the high fives festival there was 140 films there you know you're not no one's going to watch 140 films even if you went to the whole festival so having some sort of curation having people that are telling you helping you guide to like if you're into these movies go watch this um, but then when it comes to the athlete side and the filmmaker side like it's it can help elevate those those young guns getting their start have no budget to take taking money out of their own savings to make it happen and they do something amazing and then boom they can start to help get funding and i saw that evaporating and it's ironic because it's like i'm in a position in my career where i've pretty established i can just keep going but i want to make sure that there's people like below me that are younger than me that are coming up behind me to take my place um like i want to make sure the help that i got by winning powder awards by being nominated for powder awards by being in these films that were seen as the best films of the year that continues because i really think it's important for not only the industry in terms of athletes and filmmakers but i think it's important for the audience too like to know like hey like I loved this style of skiing, but that that was that the absolute best. Or that film did had this such and such impact. And so the awards aspect of I think is really important. Um, but then I also, from a fun aspect, I think just talking films is going to be really fun. Um, you know, like I I I feel like you know going into these uh, like into an episode or a podcast and being like making sure people that go and rewatch it. Like I think you and I are both fans of the the, the rewatchables, and they do a really good job on that and it makes me appreciate these films that i watched 20 years ago and i want to go back and watch them and so like having that aspect i think is just fun for the audience in general i mean it's fun for me i look forward to like going back and watching you know 1999 again from scott gaffney and like dissecting it and like watching it 20 years later and being like oh my god i can't believe this still stands a test of time or it had such and such impact on me so it's gonna be it's gonna be fun all the way around yeah, and you know, our our little maybe blister twist on all of this, I I couldn't get too excited about just doing an annual in-person awards show because kind of everything we do at Blister, right, is really diving deep into it. And I think once I had the notion of like, let's pair this with a podcast. We will be putting out video clips from those podcasts where we will be baking in maybe a certain scene that we're talking about from a film and, you know, doing a bit of bit more of that. That's where I really got excited about it because it's like, we can really dive into the new projects, the older projects, you know, it's, it's, covering the past and the future and the present and and documenting that and then not only documenting it but maybe playing a role in helping make sure that we get to continue to document these sports and and this is where I really give you credit and I've told a lot of people in my the private conversations I've had about this that when you first brought this up I was like first I just thought about her bandwidth was like no but what I appreciated is like you're doing great like you're, you know, props to you. You're having a nice little career over there. And nothing you said 
was about how this was going to help you out. This was really about like helping ensure that we continue to get these films made and can reward the incredible athletes and filmmakers doing this stuff and, um, and continuing to document these things. And, um, you know, that strikes me as exactly the right reasons for doing something like this. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun along the way. And you and I, God, for over a year now, we're working on certain recurring awards that will happen as we're going in and looking at a new film or an older film. And some of those things are going to have a lot of opportunities. Uh, it, that, that part's going to be real fun. Yes, I agree. So no, I, again, it just goes back to like knowing, looking back and knowing how consequential those awards were for my career and being like, we're watching this evaporate. Let's make sure this keeps going so that we can see new generations of filmmakers and athletes continue on with this because it's pretty cool. So more to come on that front. Yeah, more to come on that front. But that was uh, the first announcement about Blister Cinematic and uh, the new Blister Cinematic podcast and the first Blister Awards show that will take place last night of the Blister Summit. So there you go, folks. Perfect. All right. Where do you want to go next? Do you believe in Bigfoot? (laughs) No, I don't. You don't. Well, what about this video that just came out of the southwest of Colorado, which looks like some pretty clear footage of what looks like a Sam Squanch out in uh, Colorado? (laughs) Here's my take on this. I think the world and universe is far more interesting and fascinating than we remotely appreciate in our day-to-day lives. But I also believe that people are gullible and dumb and want to believe certain things to be true that aren't true. So these are two kind of contradictory or almost contradictory sort of opinions, but I believe both of those things very strongly. And yet, when it comes to the Sasquatch thing, I'm putting that very much in the bucket of, no, this doesn't just point to this grand, mysterious cosmos that we are weirdly and luckily fortunate enough to inhabit, this is just one of those like, no, dude, that's not a thing. Well, to get the listeners up to speed, there's a video that came out of the Southwest of Colorado. Um, It looked like from the train that goes in the train that's, I I don't I actually don't exactly know where it was, but um, uh, yeah. Okay. No, no, it is. It's the, there's a train that goes through the San Juans out of Silverton and it's that train. And these tourists who are on this, this train capture a video of what looks like a very tall, hairy ape, otherwise a Sasquatch or a Bigfoot, whatever you call you, walking across a hillside and then sitting down kind of almost to camouflage itself. Um, it's, some really good footage. I would say it's definitely just a human dressed up in a suit the way that it was walking. I'm not like a animal expert, a Bigfoot expert by any means, but this looked pretty prank-like uh, in general. Like we're just, we know that there's this train coming through. We're going to walk through in this Sasquatch suit and scare a bunch of tourists or something like that. <clears throat> that was my take of it. But it, you know, in general, 
like that's why I wanted to lead with do you believe in Bigfoot and we we got your your opinion and I'm in the same boat like it's god I don't think there's anything that lives like that in the forest like we live in a pretty dense area if these things that are gigantic that have like are still surviving yet we still don't know about them and they're living in places like Oregon and Washington like we're so populated with humans it seems very unlikely that anything like a giant great ape that looks bipedal and would not be seen more than it is and and be seen in like an actual clear video and up close or you know some actual evidence. I do think there's probably stuff within the oceans that are probably really wild and we don't know about because there's like 2% of the ocean that's actually been explored. So there could be a lot of stuff. Ultimately, what it comes back to, though, it's always fun. That's why I look at these things. Like I, I hearken back to, I remember when I was like, doing a ton of driving. We were driving to Alaska. I was with Abma and I uh, was back and forth between California and BC. And I really liked listening to this podcast that was all conspiracy theories. But it wasn't like the conspiracy theories that are going through our major media these days. It's all like aliens and Lemurians and lizard people. And it was like, all it did was give you this adrenaline rush that kept me awake when it was two in the morning and you're driving through the middle of nowhere, Alaska. And so it's always fun to just believe in something and or like think that these things could be out there. And I think just that spirit of the we don't know everything is a good spirit to have. I think some of these things that it takes form in are pretty hard to believe. They're also a lack of evidence to it, but I also think it can be fun to believe. And so like these stories and the, the way it was written and that everything was shared, it definitely was kind of on in the, the fun sort of spirit and thinking that this was potentially a prank. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, we know like the, the search for these things, there's like massive groups of people that dedicate their lives to finding a Bigfoot or a Yeti. I mean, Reinhold Mesner famously, after he was done climbing, went to the Himalaya and all he did for years was search for a Yeti. Um, never came back with anything. So, you know, people, I, I think it's worthwhile pursuit. I mean, can't. You think mm. it's worthwhile pursuit? You think maybe yeah. the, in the next 10 years you become a Bigfoot search and no, rescuer? No, not at all. I'm saying like it is no different than trying to tick off 50 lines that were arbitrarily put in a book. Okay. <laughs> like, there's like <laughs> yeah. there's no okay. yeah. greater purpose other than some sort of sense of purpose, some sort of sense of getting out there, the the fun of it. So that's what I'm saying. Like okay. whether you're ticking off 50 lines or searching for Bigfoot, the ultimate like thing is really there's no bigger greater sense of purpose over this um it's like i've said before there's like a there's a lack of purpose in these things we do but there's a depth of meaning so for people that are obsessed with things like bigfoot i'm sure they find a lot of meaning they find a lot of community they get outside they go hunting they're doing like they've got something that they're going for and i applaud that dude i you have just figured out sort of the the next chapter of your career where it you know it's it's either called the 50 footer or, <laughs> or just Bigfoot, but, but the actual, so you now, you and Bjarna are out like in Canada, right? And in South America or wherever you go searching for Bigfoot, 
But then you have the episode where you're like, you know, it's really not about finding Bigfoot. Sometimes it's about turning around and only searching when it's safe and weather permits. And that'll be your whole shtick. You already have kind of the blueprint. Exactly. No, totally. It'll just shift that's us to why, some other that's why useless purpose. That's why you're bringing this up. You're just trying to plant early seeds for like keep you in business forever on these, you know, the, the docu-series front. Exactly. You nailed it. <laughs> Wait, we've talked about aliens. I believe we have talked about aliens on Reviewing yeah. the News. At some point, you have asked me, like, do you believe in aliens? Listeners can go check the record, but I think this has happened in one of our conversations, like recorded has. conversations. I answer yes, because the universe is far too vast for there not to be, but I don't mm-hmm. have any. I have no, like, they don't look like they look like in the X-Files or they're not like little green men. I don't know what they look like, but aliens exist for sure. They have to. They the have universe to. is way too big. Yeah. And okay. like we were talking about with Bigfoot, it's the same sort of thing. The, the area is way too small. Okay. Okay. Uh, where, are we, where are we going next? Oh, we're going Canadian news. Oh, yeah. So, um, which could have been almost Bigfoot, because I feel like that's that's the one thing. Why is Bigfoot always in, like, Washington and Oregon? I don't see as much from Canada about Bigfoot. It seems like Canada's way bigger of a place for Bigfoot. That's why you got to start your series. People yeah, are looking in all Western the wrong Canada. places. That's their problems. That's their I know problem. where to look now. <laughs> um, so, most Canadian news. Yeah. Um, this was sent in by a listener, um, Nicholas mm. Randell. The headline is Moose Thanks Rescuer with a Lick After Being Trapped in Halloween Decorations. And this is why it's the most Canadian news because the the poll quote from it is it's definitely the most canadian thing i've done fort fort st john bc man says of animal encounters so i think this wins like if someone that lives in fort st yes. john bc which is a very canadian town says this is the most canadian thing he's ever done this wins right yeah 100% yeah and and even the moose in this section of Canada are friendly. They're just licking you and saying thanks, as opposed to trampling you to death, mauling you. Yeah, which is kind of how I think of most moose operating. Yeah. You just, if you, so our moral kids is, if you encounter a moose in Canada, it's totally fine. Go pet it and it'll just lick you nicely and you'll have a great encounter and not get mauled at all. Please, Canadian friends, do not listen to Jonathan. He has no business talking about moose. No. <laughs> um, I know, will say from a prior one, too, I got feedback from uh, a Canadian, Chris Cromwell. Um, she said to me that, that that notion of being politely vengeful when we were talking about the Tesla yeah. driver, she said that's very true. She was like, that's spot on for Canadians. So I was like, oh, okay. We were, we were accurate with our assessment, um, just like we were accurate with the fact that moose are friendly in Canada. <laughs> I wonder if we're going to end up getting like sued for this. Yeah, the Jonathan Ellsworth from Blister Review told me to go pet a moose in the fall when they're running. No, 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 kids. This is just one of our IQ tests. And so, turns out, if you if you immediately listen to what we were saying like sixty seconds ago, and then you hit stop to run out and go pet the moose. You failed the IQ test because this is the part where we're like, definitely don't do that thing we just talked about. Um, but maybe this is also how we weed out the dumb people. 
mm. from like the population, this might know. be the not, thing that saves the human race. Not as eugenics as you are, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, wow. Well, that you killed it with that one. Perfect. Most Canadian news. Couldn't be more Canadian. Where are we going from here? Are we into Mountain Town advice? Okay. Well, this one's going to be slightly different than normal. One, I just wanted to read a couple emails we got, in part because we got a message from someone named Condor or Candor, who is from Portugal. So these 100 listeners of ours, man, they're really spread out in interesting places around the world. This was kind of an interesting note, a little bit of food for thought, perhaps, for future episodes. Condor says, hi guys, allow me to give you a little bit of context about who I am so that you understand your reach with the podcast. Hmm, Cody. Condor goes on, I'm not by any means a hardcore skier. In all fairness, I would be something between a newbie and a Jerry. Perhaps, and he proposes the term new Jerry or new Jerry? Newbie with a Jerry? New Jerry. Yeah, I mean... I'm not super supportive of that term (laughs) just because like, I don't like newbies being thinking that they're kooks, like being new to something is awesome. So that that's what like Jerry to me is, has like the more connotation of being a kook. Like I think being a kook is being like, like, there's a number of different ways to be a kook, but it's usually being like, I even think making fun of other people is kind of Jerry like behavior. So that's why I'm not supportive of it. Whereas like being a newbie, you're like, no dude, be a newbie. more supportive of newbies as i as i've always said it's like if you're out there having more fun on green slopes than i had skiing that day then you're winning so okay i mostly like the idea that this word is pronounced newgery because it sounds kind of british yeah and i you know so that's cool anyway to continue so condor not a hardcore skier but i'm grateful to step into your podcast And he says, maybe you can now start saying that you have 102 and a half listeners. Okay. The reason why I keep coming back to listen to you guys is because you keep the topics to what I consider to be the essence of the mountain. I absolutely love that you cover 360 degrees, anything related to being outside. And boy, Cody, I think we have earned that anything including, you know, the NFL. It happens outdoors most of the time. So I accept that. We talk about anything related to being outside without giving too much attention to one aspect. Maybe some listeners disagree with that, that determination. Anyway, that fine balance between which topics to discuss is something that you rarely see slash hear out there. So thank you for that. Then he goes on. If I might suggest, I would love it if you could cover winter sports across the globe. Being European from Portugal, I find that we lack a European slash South American slash Asian version of your podcast, and there's space out there to expand your wings should you want to go for it, but I'm also conscious on how demanding that could be on you guys. There you go. There were my 50 cents. Take care and thanks for the entertaining podcast. Well, we did talk a bit about Europe, at least, in this one, but I definitely think there is room here. I think, though, we might need to rely more heavily on some of our listeners in South America and Asia to send in some of these stories, because it is 
tricky to try to stay up on all the news happening everywhere. But anyway, I don't know. Did you have thoughts on that suggestion? I would say, yeah, it's a great suggestion. And I would, again, do the same thing you said. Like, if you see interesting news topics um, that you want us to talk about and you are from an international community outside of North America, like tag me, tag Blister in in social media posts or, um, you know, my DMs are closed because I get too many DMs, but uh, or send an email to me on my email form at my website. So um, because, yeah. It is quite hard to keep up on everything. I think we do a a pretty good job of trying to tackle the biggest topics of the month. But um, yeah, just tag us uh, in in stories you want us to cover. Okay. So we've been going a while here. So we're just going to do one more Mountain Town advice question. And this is actually a follow-up. And I think many of you will remember this. I believe the first time the email came in from Brooklyn on behalf of Dane and Brooklyn and now, we, you and I asked for a follow-up email on this. So now Dane has written in, uh, and this is what he says. Uh, hey, Cody and Jonathan, this is the Dane half of Dane in Brooklyn. You know, from that question a couple of reviewing the news episodes ago. If I recall correctly, you both asked for a follow-up, so I felt like I should add some context to how our question came to be, how it was sent in, and how start times when it comes to skiing, really can not be impacted. All right, stay with us, folks. Dane continues, to start with, this question came to be two ski seasons ago when I was thinking about my recent skiing performance and thought I made a connection to some extracurricular morning activities, and that connection was that the best way to start the morning often resulted in me being somewhat off my game skiing the rest of the day. Folks, we're talking about sex here. Dane's being real coy with us, but um, we're talking about sex before skiing. Um, I think Dane's going to get to that in a second here. Of course, I had to bring this up while eating breakfast with Brooklyn in my van and thus started an off and on occasional debate for the next year and some change. To be clear, it was just me who thought there was a connection between morning sex and ski performance, and it definitely did not alter morning decision-making. It was mostly just an observation that sparked a rather interesting conversation. Now, I'm a big fan of the podcast, and Brooklyn has listened many times, too, while we are driving together, so we've often talked about finding and sending in a Mountain Town advice question. One day this year, while we were hanging out with my parents drinking... Brooklyn suddenly looks at me and says, I know what to send Cody and Jonathan for Mountain Town advice. Now, normally if this came up, I would chuckle and be like, maybe we'll send in the question about our sex lives when we are sober. But when hanging out with your parents, that isn't exactly an easy option. Before I knew it, the deed was done. We honestly didn't really think this would make it onto the podcast, but it did, which is both hilarious and amazing. I think your answer was a good one even though it means Brooklyn has definitely won the debate. Yes, because Brooklyn was just clearly on the right side of this question. Dane continues, although there is certainly a part of me that would suggest that you and I, Cody, both need to conduct some experiments on the subject for the sake of science, of course. Now, the last bit, which was the assumption that start time won't be impacted. I didn't expect this to be included in the question when Brooklyn sent it in, but I do very much disagree 
with your assertion that it will always be impacted. I won't get into the nitty gritty, but let's just say that van life combined with lifts not spinning until 9 a.m. makes it quite easy to make first chair. Well, I hope this is the response you were hoping for. And in the meantime, we will continue to think of another great Mountain Town advice question. Cheers, Dane and Brooklyn. Cody, that was a long one. That was a long one. I mean, um, yes, they have a unique situation. So it doesn't makes it seem like it's quite easier for us normal people that live in houses away from the mountain that deal with traffic and whatnot. I think you are still going to be impacted um, <clears throat> unless you're those kind of people that just wake up your morning people and you wake up at 530 in the morning. I don't know. Um, but actually, what made me think about this a little bit more was the performance aspect, because like, why are we worried about performance and skiing unless we are actually competing in it? Because to me, like, well, again, we go back to it. It's just about having fun. So if you that adds the fun to your day, then it's going to be better. And even if you're going to show up late, then whatever. Like, I, I you know, like, I, I think we uh, as a culture sometimes get too obsessed with our own kind of performance within the day when you should just like relax and just enjoy it. So just like, you know, when it goes with having sex. <laughs> I don't really think we're going to revisit this topic again. Yeah, I mean, I think we're clear. We're Team Brooklyn on this one. Again, I think I cited the fact that there seem to be some studies out there saying that people are having less sex these days than ever before. I I just think have sex with someone you care about before you go skiing. It's the optimal way to go skiing, right? Totally. I mean, it seems like you prefer to be intense with like Greg Hill or stuff like that. Yes and no. I mean, that's where the whole thing and that comes back if we're bringing it all the way back to the 50 is like, yeah, those days where it is intense are pretty fun. But a majority of the time, I'm just wanting to go out there and cruise. So like, I would say 80% of my backcountry ski days are just like going out to your local zone and going and ripping laps. So yeah, there's those days where you're intense, but like majority of the time, we're all just trying to have fun. I'm really tempted to make some comment about how you in the tent with Greg. I mean, he is looking pretty sexy with that blonde hair. Oh, it's looking good. Um, he's taken on a new identity. He's had this midlife crisis. He's starting to snowboard a lot. He died, <gasps> bleached his hair. He's calling himself Shreggy. Not even Greg. It's Shreggy. He went on a trip um, and he did Shasta with like nine other really hardcore snowboarders. Like he's just breaking, you know, I've, I've been making fun of him as being a midlife crisis, but he's like, no, I am. And this is like all time. And I'm like, cool, embrace it. And that's like what's so great about Greg is he's just straight up blunt and honest with you. Um, but yeah, I thought the blonde really, really brings out Greg's spirit. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I have a fellow later in life snowboard convert. Okay. Yeah. He, I will say he was contemplating snowboarding Comstock. So he's maybe a little bit ahead of you already. Oh, I, I mean, of course he is <laughs> in virtually every <laughs> element of life. Yeah. That's, that's, that goes without saying. Good to know, though. I like this. Converting skiers to snowboarding one skier at a time. I don't know. I might have a different feeling about that after my first slams on a board, but for now, could happen. All right, we need to let you get going. Let's wrap up with what you and I are reading and or watching. Yeah, um, so I've been watching the Beckham 
series um, on Netflix, um, which has been really fascinating. I thought it's been a yeah, it's really well done and it's really good because I don't think we in North America knew exactly who David Beckham was. I think like at least my experience with it was that like you're young, you know he's a soccer player, but he's married to Posh Spice and he's got model looks he's as like handsome as hell but you don't know exactly necessarily how good of a soccer player is um so it goes into that aspects of like one how unbelievably he was good at soccer but also these commercial aspects like he was one of the first global soccer superstars um with major contracts outside of the sports sponsorship deals um which went against a lot of the culture of soccer within uh, within Europe, but especially in England. Um, and then also just uh, celebrity and fame. And it, it's really fascinating. Like I'm walk, walking away from it, like just kind of, in, I, I think David Beckham seems like an amazing guy and he's dealt with a lot of shit. And you think like, oh yeah, you're rich, you're incredibly good looking and you're married to Posh Spice. That's how you label it. Your life is great. But when you get into it and you start to see like the the trappings that come with that, the side effects of it, I thought it's really, really well done. Um, uh, it's a, you know, I would say as a eight out of 10 for a watch, like if, if it's only like a four part series, but I think it's very worthwhile. Um, and a uh, book I've been reading is In Search of the Canary Tree um, by Lauren Oakes. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's I've definitely heard of it in circles for a long time. It's an environmental, uh, environmentally themed uh, book. Um, it's about a woman who um, gets her PhD and goes off to get you know do her work as a doctor and she focuses her work on the yellow cedar uh, in Southwest Alaska and the disappearance of the yellow cedar tree but it's done in such a way that you kind of feel like you're brought along for the ride you're going through the emotional journey of a scientist that is studying a tree that's looking like it's going to completely collapse and you see one the emotional aspects not on just herself but on the communities um of alaska whether they're everything from loggers to the clinket that have uh, used the tree as almost a sacred spiritual tree. Um, it's the tree that is that has fallen for um, totem poles for like it is like a very important tree within their culture and their ancestry. And so it's it's really well done. And I would say it's not just like dark tinged environmental book. Like you don't just being like, you're not walking away from it being like, Oh my God, the world's going to shit. Everything's going to collapse and we're all going to die. Like it does have some um, uplifting and kind of inspirational aspects to it. I've been really enjoying it. Hmm. How to get on your radar. I don't know. Just I think in environmental book kind of circles, it's a well-read and uh, positively reviewed book. So I've just heard it through circles quite a lot. And I would so say I'm um, like three quarters of the way through that. Yeah, they're, they're spot on. It's a if you're interested in environmental science and climate change, um, if you're just interested in just kind of what a scientist does, the nuts and bolts of it, um, which is pretty fascinating. It's 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 a good book. Interesting. And you? What have you been up to? The thing I want to talk about actually is not reading. I guess it technically could fall under watching. I was actually in Bentonville, Arkansas uh, this past week and spent several hours at the Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art. 
in part that was unique just because I had not spent that kind of time at an art museum in a while. And uh, turns out going to an art museum by yourself, uh, still something I love to do. And man, Bentonville is certainly its own topic for sure. And it tends to elicit very strong reactions, incredibly positive people who are suspicious of kind of everything that's going on there. That is <laughs> worthy of many hours of conversation in its own right. I Punchline for me, um, I think it's pretty remarkable what's happening there, but it is also remarkable the fact that this Crystal Bridges Museum of Art exists there. Right next to it is a Frank Lloyd Wright home that was actually moved for the sake of preserving the home and the structure. We've talked about this on some other episodes, kind of art in the outdoors, but I spent several days doing what you do in Bentonville, which is riding bikes and ripping around on some extremely well-built trails. But then to be able to walk in and be seeing paintings from Edward Hopper and Norman Rockwell and Beeple and, and many others um, was fantastic. And I still love this mashup of being able to enjoy bikes and the outdoors and trails and also getting to then walk in on an off day or an off afternoon and see for the first time a number of really interesting pieces of art, uh, some contemporary, some stemming back into, going back into American history. Fantastic. And so gold star, uh, to the Crystal Bridges Museum of Art, to Alice Walton for making that project happen. It's an incredible building with a lot of great artwork, and I felt pretty grateful to be able to spend some time there. So that's what I got this week. Cool. Sounds good. Yeah, I've definitely heard of the bike riding in yeah. Benville being incredible. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. Probably a topic for another for another podcast, I think, but um, very cool to see uh, trails being built in a place where you wouldn't on the face of it think we could build some really, really interesting and very technical uh, mountain bike riding. So, And we were there for the Big Sugar Gravel Race, got to see the finish of that. So quite a little hub going on in Bentonville. So anyway. Awesome. Well, I got to go pick up my kid from childcare. You got to go, wait, pick up your kid so that you can continue to get like more sick. M more sick. It's the conundrum of childcare. You're either going to be out and down on the couch sick or you and not able to do anything or you put your because you put your kids in childcare or you keep your kid away from childcare and then you're healthy but you can't do anything because you got to watch your kid all day. <laughs> Perfect. So, I'm going to get back to that. You lead a charm life, man. As always, good to talk. We'll do it again soon and uh get better till you get sick again right after getting better. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> Talk to you later. Later. Well, that's it for this edition of Reviewing the News. I want to say thanks to Cody, as always, for another fun conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. And special thanks to those of you who continue to send in potential topics for us to discuss on Reviewing the News, your Mountain Town advice, questions, and comments. And thanks, too, to those of you who are leaving ratings and reviews of this podcast. 
It means a lot and it really does help us keep this whole thing going and growing. All right, everybody, have a great week and we will talk to you again real soon.